As I mentioned, Dr. Long could not be with us, but we will have him come at some point and share about um, the theme of a congregational concern for our youth. But we'll have Dr. Long come back at one other time. I, I told him that um, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to hold him to that and have him share. But I began to uh, wonder what I should speak to today on this day. And uh, I began to reflect on my own life. I began to reflect on um, relationships in my life. And I began to reflect on some real challenging places in relationships in my life. Because if I could say anything to the graduates, whether high school or or college, I would say this, life is about relationships, period. Life is about relationships, and at the heart of relationships is the heart. And so we're going to talk today from Proverbs chapter 4 about the heart, about this, not this couple pound membrane organ that's in your body, but in that place where your affections, that place where your motivations, that, that place of the will in your life, because that place in you and me dictates everything. Proverbs, as you probably know, is a collection of wise sayings and instructions Primarily about the heart, by the way. Proverbs, these different sayings, come from different authors. But who do you think is the most prominent of the author of Proverbs? Anyone want to venture a guess? Solomon. Solomon is the most prominent of the authors in uh, Proverbs. He was regarded as, he is still regarded as one of the wisest men in all of time. And so people even with no faith are going to say stuff like this. It is going to take the wisdom of Solomon to figure this out. And for good reason. Uh, we read these words in, in, in uh, the Bible. God gave Solomon wisdom and very great insight and a breadth of understanding as measureless as the sand of the seashore. I want me some of that, by the way. Solomon's wisdom was greater than the wisdom of all the people of the East and greater than all the wisdom of the Egypt. He was wiser than anyone. And then it goes on and starts listing all the things that this guy did. We could say that Solomon was a Renaissance man because what we find the Bible talking about when it talks about Solomon is this. It says that he was a shrewd politician. It says he was a brilliant judge. Remember the whole whose child is this scene? He mastered economics and business. He was a poet. He was a songwriter. He was an author. He understood animal husbandry, the Bible says, and botany. That sounds like you have to take a lot of science for that. I don't want to do that one. He has abilities in architecture, we read. He was skilled as a government official, and he also saw the importance of international diplomacy. He developed an amazing network of a shipping industry. And he was an importer and an exporter of fine goods. So it's no wonder that we read these words in the Bible. King Solomon was greater in riches and wisdom than all the other kings of the earth. 
The whole world sought audience with Solomon to hear the wisdom God had put in his heart. This guy was trending when trending wasn't even a trend. That's what was happening. And when we read that, when we read all of that, we look at that and we go, wow. I mean, I look at that and I go, wow. We assign that that Solomon accomplished with a label. And the label is we say, now that is a successful life. But in spite of his wisdom, and in spite of his skill, and in spite of his insight, in spite of his accomplishments, in spite of all that he had, his life imploded on him. It, caved, it all caved in. And, 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 and he has a miserable end, which we'll get to. We read in 1 Kings 11 these words. King, verse 4. It says that he loved these foreign women. His wives turned his heart from, after other gods. And then here it is. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord, his God. Hear that closely. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. It doesn't say the Lord God or the Lord who's, you know, the cultural God. The Lord his God. I want you to hear that. There's subtlety here. Catch it. His heart was devoted to the Lord. But his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord. And therein lies the challenge. Therein lies the danger for us today. The danger is not some sudden rejection of God. The danger is not in some instantaneous embrace of idols and idol worship, but rather it was a heart, half-hearted devotion which then caused his affections to become disordered, which then began eroding his will. John Ortberg said, when I live with half-hearted devotion, my soul is always strained. That's a thought. Now, now Solomon, here's a guy who prayed in 1 Kings 8, may he turn our hearts to him. He's praying. May all the peoples of the earth know that the Lord is God. May your hearts be fully committed to the Lord our God. That's Solomon. Now why do I take you on this long excursion to ask one question? What happened? What happened? God's desire for him faded from view in his life. Solomon's strange, strained soul crumbled under the weight of his distracted heart, his disordered affections. And it crumbled under the weight that no heart can bear. Your heart, my heart, no heart. And that is a completely inward focus. Our hearts aren't made for that. It's too much weight, too much responsibility in many respects. So he spent his life on the temporal externals of life. Hear that, on the temporal externals of life while not giving attention to the internal, eternal essentials. 
And Solomon ultimately failed to heed what are likely the very words that he penned. This is the word of the Lord for us today. Proverbs chapter 4. My child, pay attention to what I say. Turn your ear to my words. Do not let them out of your sight. Keep them within your heart. For they are life to those who find them and health to one's whole body. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. Keep your mouth free of perversity. Keep your corrupt talk far from your lips. Let your eyes look straight ahead. Fix your gaze directly before you. Give careful thought to the paths for your feet and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left. Keep your foot from evil. I think I'm going to... That verse 27, that's my memory verse for the political season this year. Do not turn to the right or to the left. All right? Keep your foot from evil. (laughs) Laugh with me on that one. It's one of the most famous, one of the most famous of Proverbs. Above all else, guard your heart. For everything you do flows from it. I have, a, I have a, um, an affection, if you will, for the New Living Translation. It says, guard your heart above all else, for it determines the course of your life. The operations center, if you will. Where our affections stem from. The house of the will. We can call it the chooser switch. But here's the challenge. There is a struggle for harmony between affections we have and choices we make. Affections we have and choices we make. So no wonder. Wisdom says, guard your heart, keep your heart, watch over your heart. Too often we think this idea of faith is just kind of like this autopilot thing or uh, you know, a once and done deal. But it's not that. There's, there's, there's a place, a, a role we have in this. Guard your heart. Now, why is this really important? And why would I even think about sharing this today? Well, in his, in his new book, Live No Lies, John Mark Comer writes these words. Every thought, every desire we follow, every choice we make is an investment in our future, in the kind of people we want to become. Now, next week, we're going to begin a little series in, through the summer, in and out of a series through the summer, called Prophets and Promises. And we're going to look at Micah 6. And we're going to ask the question, so what kind of people are we becoming? That's a really important question for us. Because at the end of the day, nothing else matters except what kind of person am I becoming? But here again, every thought, every desire we follow, every choice we make is an investment in our future in the kind of people we want to become. And so wisdom and knowledge we learn when we look at Solomon's life, fail us when we do not take heed to the matters of the heart and we end up becoming a kind of person we don't want to become. The spring of life runs dry, if you will. Guard the heart. Protect it is what it means. That's what that word means. It's actually a military term. It means watch over it. It means keep it. It means cause to be safe from danger. And it implies this, and here's what we have to get. It implies 
a relationship, a relationship with the protector. So here's the question. What is my relationship with my heart? What is your relationship with your heart? Are you on speaking terms with your heart? What is your relationship with your heart? I, I think of the psalmist when he says, when he, when he kind of yells at his soul, <laughs> oh, my soul, right? So there's this idea of a relationship with the heart. So how do, we, how do we make sure we have a good relationship with our heart? Well, let's use that word guard, and let's think about keeping up our guard when it comes to the heart. First of all, guard your focus in life, for life. Guard your focus for life. In Proverbs 3.3, 3, it says, Let love and faithfulness never leave you. Bind them around your neck. Write them on the tablet of your heart. What? What do we write on the tablet of our love and faithfulness? Now, I think this may be the hinge pin of guarding the heart, and here's why. Because what or whom I love is what or whom I will give my life for and to. I'm just telling you, I will lay down everything for Kathleen. Everything. I would. Out of love. What will I sacrifice for? What I love is what I'll sacrifice for. Now, here's why we need to get this. Now, next week, I know... Uh, Ladies, I think, and whoever else wants me, you're going to get little slips, I think, when you leave today that's going to suggest that if you can bring some cookies in and some other stuff, and there's a reason for that because next year is a sacred cookie holiday, right? It's Father's Day next week, and that's a sacred cookie holiday. And so hear this statement from me so we can understand why this is so important. When I say I love chocolate chip cookies, right, I'm not saying I am about to sacrifice myself for the chocolate chip cookies. I'm not going to do that. What I'm saying is I love them so much. I love these chocolate chip cookies that I desire to consume them in large quantities. <laughs> now here's why this is important. Because that really is, I love chocolate chip cookies because of me. If I decide to sacrifice myself to consuming and focusing on my wants, well, that means that I'll do these kinds of things. I will use people for my own benefit. I will gorge my desires for my own pleasure. And I will consume resources without consideration to their impact on others in the world. So what is the opposite of this? Well, Jesus told us that. Mark chapter 12, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And then Paul was writing to a bunch of folks who got mixed up about the faith. And they brought it all down to just having some kind of religious affiliation or religious rules. And and, you know, that great verse in Galatians 5, 6, the second part of it. Nothing matters except faith expressing itself through love. If all I did was take that verse of Scripture when it comes to guarding my heart, 
that would change my life. Nothing matters. This is the Bible. Nothing, underline it, triple score, matters except faith expressing itself through love. I'm so far from fulfilling that verse of Scripture, but my, my life's hunger is to fulfill that verse of Scripture. You see, it's so simple when it comes to guarding the focus for your life. It's deceiving as to how powerful it really is. Love God with all you have and love others. The discovery of life reduces down to this. And this. I can't do that without him. Second thing, guard your affections in life. Our affections pull us. We all have them. Our affections pull us. What are the things you're most affectionate about? Our affections pull us towards choices. And when we allow disordered affections, as Ignatius would say, when we allow disordered affections to rule our lives, well, when they take the wheel, the result is catastrophic, as we're going to see. James 1 says, But people are tempted when their own evil desire leads them away and traps them. This desire leads to sin, and then the sin grows and brings death. As Ray Ortland said, we do not have to give ourselves to raw evil to end up there. That's a great statement. We don't have to give ourselves to raw evil to end up there. I don't think anyone grows up as a kid when they're coming to their graduation going, you know, I think I'm just going to give myself to evil all my life. We only have to unguard our hearts. So Solomon, back to our, our main character today. This is how he describes himself in Ecclesiastes. This is fascinating. Ecclesiastes 2.10. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. I denied myself nothing. You see, that sounds like this in our world today. Actual sayings in our world today. The heart wants what it wants. Go ahead and Google the history of that saying. The heart wants what it wants. Google that when you get home. Follow your heart. You do you. Live your truth. Be true to yourself. In some ways we look at those statements and even, even the idea of Nike's slogan, just do it. And we think there's no real harm in some of those things we may think. Except they really are saying the same thing that Solomon said. I denied myself nothing my eyes desired. I refused my heart no pleasure. So here's the question. Here's a really good question. So how would that work out for you, Solomon? He goes on. This is, this is one of the saddest verses in all of the Bible. Yet when I surveyed all that my hands had done and what I had toiled to achieve, everything was meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Nothing was gained under the sun. I don't want to come to the end of my life and look back and say, nothing was gained Here's the guy who had the money. Here's the guy who had the, the woman. Here's the women, I should say. Here's the guy 
who had the power. Here's the guy who had the control. Here's the guy who, who had people coming to him. He had the fame. He had everything in life that we think might make life life. And at the end of his life, he says, you know what? I was just like I was chasing the breeze on a windy day. There's a saying from the start of our country, 18th century, from Edmund Burke, looking at our country, looking at our government. And he said this, men are qualified, people are qualified for civil liberty in exact proportion to their disposition to put moral chains upon their own appetites. Now, listen to what he says. Men of intemperate minds, or in other words, men, people who chase after their pleasures, and no matter what the price, people of intemperate minds cannot be free. Their passions forge their fetters. Wow. See, that tells me that I have to really guard my passions. And it tells me this, that there is a right fetter to be chained because remember Paul the Apostle he referred to himself quite regularly as a slave of Christ so it's really important for us to think about our hearts in this regard in Proverbs 19 2 it says desire without knowledge is not good how much more will hasty feet miss the way so this addresses looking at our affections guarding our affections in life by examining the habits that we embrace, the patterns we choose, the practices we continue. Why? Because choices determine whether we are more free to love or more bound by our disordered affections. John Ortberg again said, our bodies are these collections of appetites that veer out of control and habits that drag us down paths we don't want to travel. We're not careful. So that's why we need to guard our hearts. Here's, here's the question. I wrote this down. I rewrote this and rewrote this and rewrote this. How are you guarding the affections and appetites of your heart? And then I wrote this question. This was, this was one I rewrote a couple of times. What habits guard the internal essentials from the external distractions? What habits guard the eternal essentials from the disordered affections? Now, you may have that all figured out, but I'm finding myself, I, I keep growing in these habits, and some habits I go, well, I need to change this habit or this habit at this season. What are the habits that you have that, that are helping your heart be guarded, your affections? That, that's part of the reason why scripture reading is so critical. If, I've said this a, a billion times. No, probably not. That's an, that's an over-exaggeration. But if this is the extent of what you're getting from Scripture when someone stands up here and preach, you are woefully spiritually anemic. Woefully. Because what Scripture does, it's Scripture helps form and shape our understanding of God and the world and ourselves. And so that's why, scripture, that's, that's why prayer is so important. Prayer's not about what can I get God to do. God, come over here. Twist your arm, God. 
Prayer is about me being shaped and formed by him, in communion with him. Why? Not because I, Jesus isn't my belief. Jesus isn't my philosophy. Jesus is the redeeming reality of my life. I don't, be, I don't so much believe in the life and resurrection of Jesus. I live in the life and resurrection of Jesus. See, we're at reality. Because there's some days where my belief is waning, but the reality is constant. So that's why that is important, because in prayer, I connect to the reality of Jesus. Last thing, guard the highest and best good of life. You see, this proverb is actually a real positive living. It's, it's, a, it's a proverb for living life, not a negative rule to take something from life. That's what I think we mistake. That's the purpose of this. Proverbs 4, now, Solomon refers to his father David in verse 4. Then he taught me and he said, take hold of my words with all your heart, keep my commands and you will live. See, guarding our hearts is about maximizing the best affections. It's about replacing lesser affections with higher affections for God and our highest and best good and the highest and best good of others. Again, James says this. My friends, grab hold of this today. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights who does not change like shifting shadows. Every good and perfect gift. Our Father God, our God wants to give us good and perfect gifts. I love that. And we can't lose sight of that. We can't lose sight of our good, generous God. God, God is postured toward us with generosity. We're tempted to lose sight of that. It's easy to lose sight of that looking at our world or when we get caught up in our own junk. But as Gardner Springs said, other sources of enjoyment there are, but he is the great source. So how does that guard my heart? How does that guard my heart? Well, again, John Marcoma writes, we cultivate a way of seeing our lives in God's good world. Not through the lens of our phones, news apps, or flesh, but through gratitude, celebration, and unhurried delight. And over time, this forms us into joyful, thankful people who deeply enjoy life with God and others. We reprogram our minds, in a sense. We create new pathways in our brains that orient us towards who God is, our good and perfect God who gives good and perfect gifts. And if there was anything I would want more than anything for these graduates in our congregation to know and practice is a life of gratitude. Because that, if you have a life of gratitude to God and to others, if you have that gratitude, the the first thing that goes for me when I find myself in depressing darkness, the first thing that goes for me is gratitude. First thing that goes. And you know what? Maybe you don't walk in those places, but I walk in those places of depressing darkness. And the first thing that leaves the room or tries to leave the room is gratitude. And sometimes the hardest thing to do is to be grateful. But that, my friends, forms and shapes us. 
We, we're, we, we end up guarding the good of life. We need to guard what's truly good. Jesus said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And it's Jesus who makes accessible the good and perfect gifts from God. Faith, hope, and love, and true inner freedom. Not just something that is assigned to me because I'm a citizen of a country, but true inner freedom. Some of the freest people I've met are in places like Guyana. When I went there, and, and the people were crushed by poverty after coming out of communism and the potholes in the road were as big as the vans that we were in and they had nothing and they didn't even know they had power that day, but they were so free. Same thing with some of those folks in Liberia. After years of civil war, losing loved ones, churches that were burned or broken down, they had nothing. They were, they were the polar opposite of Solomon, but they were free. That's what God wants for us, the wonder of eternal life. So Proverbs 4 points out, let your eyes look straight ahead, fix your gaze directly before you, give careful thought to the paths for your feet, and be steadfast in all your ways. Do not turn to the right or to the left, keep your foot from evil. And there's that focus, fix your eyes. Fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. This is what will guard our hearts from misplaced affections and crushing disappointments and alluring temptations and the meanderings of pride. You know, graduates, for you, what I want more than anything is for you to be free. Not just free from something, but free for someone. Free for Christ and the life he has for you. And so, yes, above all else, guard your heart, for it is the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. Guard it. And the life that God will give to you as you guard it, even in the midst of the darkness, even in the midst of the disappointments, there'll be a tether. There'll be a tether in your life that you could hold on to as he pulls you through. There's many days I wish that God would deliver us from darkness. But in the mystery of God's grace, more often than not, he brings us through it with him. And so I invite you to guard your heart so you can just hold on to the tether, the good, the bad, and the struggling, the difficulties. And know this, know this. We are going to root you on as you move forward in life. Thanks be to God.